Hello and welcome to the Equiline Podcast. This is Dr. Wendy Corin. And this is Dr. Dave Lundquist. And once again, we have Drs. Karen and Klaus with us to blow your mind with some new perspective on why science is so important. So once again, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Oh, and uh, we have the puppies here with us trying to make sure that we stay on task. And having the opportunity to spend time with these amazing people, we realize that how many of our conversations have to do with the science behind the practice. And Klaus, I'm going to talk to you first because you you are the science man, you know, um, as a professor and a researcher. How is it that you can explain to people why science is so important in determining what the best practices are for helping yourself, your animals, all of the things. If you look at the disease processes, so if, uh, yeah. uh, then we always have to uh, optimize it. To really, if we know something is working, we want to not make it better. We need to make it better. So to make it better, we have to understand what's really going on and what we have to really treat. And the treatment options we get by doing research by looking in detail and asking, could that be this, or can that be the origin, can that be the origin? And the research is asking those questions and looking for those um, mechanisms for the disease. Once we identify them, we have a much, much better way in targeting them and helping the patient down the road and improving the animals or the patients, doesn't matter. Um, Oh, absolutely. Every time we are asked to look in at a horse or a dog, it's the question behind the question is, how do you know what the mechanism is? How do you know what's going on? And and how do you measure? I know we talked a lot when when we were um, together last about the autonomic nervous system and how animals communicate that they have a problem. And I know you have research going in that direction. So we came to the last meeting where we had the last podcast and that was real fun. We were introducing the concept of pupillometry, which basically describes the balance of the sympathetic and parasympathetic system. And that means it's something we cannot really touch. We cannot really see. We cannot really even define because every person is different. So we have to have somehow a measure to say the patient is doing good, the animal is doing good. In particular with the animal, it cannot really communicate that part directly. So we have to have an indirect measure to do it. And since the pupil is an and a window for us, a window to look into the, I don't say soul, even though it's yes. in the yes. issue, yes. looking into it's the soul. It's just an easy the, next step of saying the So basically looking at that part and then using that measure to say the animal is doing well or the animal is not doing well, by monitoring those um, parameters, we are right now able to see how good, how well, our therapy really does for the animal. This is so important to me. And all of you, you know, humans, I assume everyone out there who's listening is human, you've all been asked by a doctor, how do you feel on a scale of sad face to happy face? And one thing we know for sure is that one person's sad face is another person's happy face. One person's, oh my God, this is a 10. Someone else will say it's barely a two. So it's not objective. And by using 
the reading of the autonomic nervous system. And, and again, for those of you who are, are not physicians and, and not really understanding, your fight or flight mechanism. You know, this is the part that really um, monitors how you interpret the world and whether it is painful or pleasant and whether it's healthful for you or not. And what, what Klaus and Karen have been doing is finding ways to measure that so that when you get a feeling that your horse or your dog is uncomfortable, how can we objectify that so you really know is this a good or a unpleasant experience and how you can maximize the therapies that make them better and minimize the experiences that make them worse. Yeah, and, and knowing when to use something, when not to use something, it, it, it works not only with the health, but it, it works with the financial end of it too because you don't want to just be throwing tons of therapy at something if it's not, if it's not making a difference. You want to know what specifically is helping and what's not helping. Let's weed some things out here and let's not keep throwing the kitchen sink at it every time. And we see this a lot where we walk into the barn, the acupuncturist there, the chiropractor's there, the massage therapist is there, the, the vet's there, the communicator's there, and we're throwing <laughs> the kitchen sink at a horse trying to make everything work. And there's so many things going on at the same time, we can't figure out what really helped in the long run. So that's why we need Klaus. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's a team. We always work as a team. You cannot say sciences at one point. Yes, we have a special education, a certain way of looking at things, but it's always the team which basically wins and makes the, uh, the finish line very fast because we're working together and that's what makes it so fun being here, basically working together with people who are daily seeing the patients and we are thinking out fancy theories and we're coming back to you and tossing those ideas towards you saying yes that's working that's idea and then on the other hand you say my gosh how can you do those things right and that is an important part where we can make advances and uh, uh, take my knowledge your knowledge put them together uh, to the benefit of the patient and one of the things that we're enjoying doing here with having you guys here is how are we going to find a way to measure? Yes. What's the technique going to be to measure how we can communicate with our clients and get feedback that's useful as opposed to, I think they feel better. My horse seems happier. My dog is wagging its tail. Well, if you have a golden retriever, it's going to nest wag its tail up into its last minute. And if you have a more stoic, that may not be the best measurement. So how can we begin to incorporate science into our daily life? And it's not only, and you basically brought up the, 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 the point, it's also financial part for those who have health insurance. The health insurance wants to see it works. So how do I measure that it works? And that is, we have to basically put up some measures that helps us, that helps others, and uh, that helps to uh, justify certain treatments and make them really valuable for a broader, uh, for a broader um, um, number of uh, therapeutic um, or people working in the therapeutics. Well, it, exactly, because how, when sometimes you have choices in therapy, yeah. How do you know when massage, when laser, when PEMF, how do you know which is the most appropriate in that moment? You yeah. know, because, or for that animal. Or for because, that animal. Or for that animal, because every animal responds differently to different therapies as well. So yeah, we have horses that, 
or in dogs that don't like the sound of the fan that the that the laser makes, so it's hard to use that, or they don't like the, the clicking noise of the MagnaWave, or they don't, you know, there's always something that an animal might not like, which could create more stress for that animal, and you're here you are well, trying to help them. And so that's, I think, what we want to talk about is how do you measure real stress? You know, how, how do you... Because we talked about this last night at dinner, the difference between stress that makes you healthy, mm-hmm. you stress, and distress, stress that causes destruction. Yeah. Yes. And the, the interesting part is, and I've spent quite a bit of time in researching the literature which is out there in terms of stress, how you measure stress, how you determine stress, and that is very objective. So you can make questionnaires where you ask people where you by the responses of the patients can say, yeah, this is stress or that's not stress. But on the other hand, if you want to have physiologic measures, we really say, this is stress or that's not stress. It's really, really difficult. And even if you look in the literature, the opinions are very, very different. Even though they start funneling right now in one direction, sometimes it takes very long to really identify stress sometimes it's very fast and you want to have a method which immediately gives you the opportunity to say i'm in stress right now you give a therapy it's pain pain is stress so you really want to immediately identify even before the animal or the patient really says ouch that really hurts or the animal shows by its behavior that is really painful you don't want to go there you want to have an early sign and say okay right now it becomes uncomfortable right now i want to be a little bit more gentle with the person or i want to start coming from the not directly on this hot spot but coming working towards the hot spot and that is important for anyone who's doing treatment with horses slash Uh, It it doesn't really matter whether it's humans or horses or dogs or cats. We talked yesterday about cortisol levels and how accurate that is Mm -hmm. as a measurement of stress. And then we got, what what got very excited is, once you can correlate the cortisol level to the pupil, then you cannot have to run a blood test right away to say, are they under stress, but actually... So that's, that's a really good point with Tierstein right now to the question of can we measure it and how do we measure it? Mm-hmm. Right now we said we use the pupil size because the pupil size has, as we said, the sympatheticus and the parathympatheticus, which means stress, no stress. And we have other means. We have the heart rate, heart rate variability, which we can use. We have uh, hormonal parts. We have indicators in the blood which are indicating stress. One of the um, um, uh, indicators is the cortisol level, as we talked about. And I think we have to validate our methods to really showing that is really giving stress, taking into account that certain procedures and certain situations are stress for one animal or person, and others are not. The same situation can be very stressful for one person and not at all for the other. that is by coming from the outside, describing the environment. It's very, very tricky to see the reaction of the body. And we have to make a correlation um, where the body is telling us this is stress. And that is the tricky part because it is not directly accessible. Right. And so if we're going to find that definitive way of measuring and say, okay, here is, here is the way the animal is right now. Now I'm going to create, do a therapy. 
Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to measure and mm -hmm. say, was my therapy effective? Mm -hmm. It seems to be like that's we need. What is, what is our measurement to determine our pre? Mm -hmm. And what is our measurement to determine was our therapy effective? And, and that's where I love the yeah. idea that we're going to be working together to yeah. create yeah. this measurement and then make it available so that it's not you going, oh, they look happy or, oh, they look sad, which could all be about what's going on in the observer, <laughs> not necessarily in the creature. And that's what we started out with Karen, where she made the massage therapy. And we took the pupil size before and after therapy, showing that the therapy actually really resulted in a positive result, meaning that the parasympathetic uh, sympatheticus or the uh, release stress system is governing uh, the outcomes. So that was the first start where we got very excited in seeing that. Also, if you had the control group, the animals who were stressed, came already with a sign in the pupil size which showed stress. So that was the very important part for us to really pick on and carry on and see how are other methods or treatment methods in that perspective? Are they showing the same signs or not? And that's why I'm so excited working with you because you have so many techniques, so many opportunities in doing that where we really can repeat the, the measurements and then down the road we are in the process of really uh, um, making sure that it is uh, correlated with stress levels like the cortisol level, measuring the pupil size uh, upon stress. And uh, this is on our agenda. Yes. Yeah, right yeah, we got so many plans. Because this will help us answer the, the age-old question we get from every client. How often do you need to see this yes. horse, dog, cat, whatever? Because it's, you know, it's, it's such a shot in the dark for us. I mean, we go off of our experience going, yes, this is what would be the most beneficial schedule. But it would be nice to have some science behind that going, yes. We noticed that the cortisol levels after seven days begin to increase again. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. Now we know it's time for more therapy. It would be nice to have science with us on oh, that. Oh, 100%. And also how you choose your modality, you know, is chiropractic or acupuncture or massage or laser PEMF, which one does this creature respond best to? And if you as a, as a human out there can be taught to observe the pupil size, you can send a picture in and we can actually have an understanding in order to create a conversation for making these decisions. And in our, in our working with Karen and Klaus, we're going to be talking about how the lighting is going to affect us, how to create an actual, reliable way of collecting data. Because, you know, people send us pictures of before and after sometimes, and you can't even tell it's the same animal. Yeah. The, the lighting is so different, the environment is you so different. You can't have your flash going off, taking a picture of their eye. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 So it's quite significant. Exactly. Yeah. Or when, you know, the, the tractor backfires when you're doing it, or when you did one in the morning and one at night. How do we create? We, we did thermography studies at uh, Virginia Tech at the vet school. And the wind was blowing, and it was cold, and then people had fingerprints, yeah. and it yeah. was snowing, and we're like, there is zero reliability yep. of any of the data we collected. Mm -hmm. That it just wasn't, and we couldn't put ourselves in a, a what do they say, a hermetic 
hermetically sealed mayonnaise jar, you know, where we're yeah. all just sitting in there mm-hmm. and nothing in the we environment didn't have a is controlled changing. Envi- we, had, we didn't have a controlled environment. So what we're hoping to accomplish in this in this collaboration is being able to interface with you guys out there and gathering data and starting to build a how do you know? When will you choose the modality? And science is here for us to make informed decisions. That is a really good point. Making informed decisions, I think that's a key. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. So stay tuned. They will be back. We're going to talk more about this. And we welcome your questions and what you want to know so that we can include this and make interfacing with Equiline a positive experience for you and the best possible results for your creatures. This is Dr. Wendy Corin. This is Dr. Dave Lundquist. And this has been an Equiline podcast.